0: We are in Acts chapter 16, I am told. (laughs) I was gone for a while. Acts chapter 16, we'll be looking at just a short little passage this morning, verses 6 through 10. We'll be talking about being led by the Spirit to do God's will. Acts chapter 16. I was glad that in my absence last week, we got to have one of our sons, Chris Lazo, back in the building to teach you guys. That was great. I know he did a great job. So we'll read this little text. I'm working from the NIV this morning, and then we'll get into it, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and the privilege of studying it together. We ask together that you would help us to comprehend your word, what it means as a text that it is and what it means for our lives We ask this morning that you would give us faith to hear your word, to believe it, to receive it, to act upon it, to live it out, that you would give us grace to be shaped by the truth that is presented here in your word, and that because of that, our lives would bear fruit for your glory. Uh, We ask together, please, Lord, that for the glory of Jesus, you would anoint me to teach and preach. You would help me to do so by the power of the Spirit, with humility and honesty in a way that glorifies Christ and is faithful to the Bible. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this little text has been one of the single most important texts of my entire adult life, believe it or not. This is one of my very, I don't, I don't, I want to call it favorite because I don't know. Favorite, I don't know. It's one of the most important texts in my entire life. It is regularly, these few verses, they are regularly on the forefront of my mind and they are with me in every single big moment of my life and have been for decades. This text has been incredibly formative for me. The reason is, is because this text holds out to us the hope of being led by God's Spirit to do God's will. This text holds out to us the hope of being specifically led by God's Spirit to do God's particular will for our individual lives. Paul and his companions here, it's uh, Luke who's doing the writing, the recording, Silas and Timothy who got circumcised last week as you guys heard of. They're traveling together now. And they're trying to go into one region. Remember, they're on mission. They're on a mission trip and they had an idea. Let's go here. And it says the spirit did not allow them to. And okay, well, let's go and plan B. Let's go here. And then it says the spirit of Jesus did not permit them to. And so then they go to some other place and they're waiting there. And then there's a vision and some clear direction. This is a beautiful example of God's people being led by God's spirit in a particular way into God's will in their individual lives, with clarity. And here's why that's profound for me. At the core of my heart, I really want to do God's will. Now, there is a battle that rages within me for that. I also want to do my will. Can anybody relate? And I have a certain will, and my flesh has certain desires, and yet my spirit has desires that are formed by the Spirit of God, and and there's this battle that ensues within me for my will versus God's will. But I would have to say at the deepest core of who I am in Jesus as the Son of God, I really want to do God's will. but I don't always know what that entails. So there's this dissonance because there's this really deeply formed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, godly desire to want to do God's will, but I don't always know what that is. And even sometimes when I do know what it is, even then I decide, no, I don't want to do that. And so the waters become murky, the ground uncertain. The way not always as clear as it ought to be. But this text reminds me of the fact that God loves me. And that as his child, his son, he wants to, as a good father, lead me. This text reminds me of that fact. The father loves me. And as his child, he wants to lead me in the way that I ought to go. Now, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, and I quote, the Father loves you dearly, the words of Christ to you. The Father loves you dearly, Jesus says to us. Jesus teaches us that our lives are precious to God. That our lives count and mean something before God and in his purposes. And that you, Christian, are the daughter of God. Or the son of God. And as his heavenly father who is good and who loves you. He wants to lead his child in the way that she or he ought to go. I'm reminded by the word, of the words of John the Apostle. In his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 1. Who says, behold how great a love the father has, been, has given us. That we should be called the children of God. John says, look how great that love is. That God considers us his children. And we think about all the different ways in which that love is great. The first and foremost being Jesus given to us as our Savior and his work upon the cross. But there is also more to how great that love is. Andrew Murray, who's a great guy to read on anything that he writes, one of the great dead Christians, and we have many. He said this in the 70s when he wrote, the most precious gift of the Father's love in Christ is the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and lead us. Now think about that. I want you to think of the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and leading us in our lives as a gift because of and of and from the Father's love. Jesus spoke about it this way in Acts chapter 1 when he said, wait in Jerusalem until you have received the promise of the Father. The good thing that the Father has ordained and made for you, that the Father wants to give to you because of His love, wait till you receive it, talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. Again, these words, the most precious gift of the Father's love in Christ is the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and lead us. Because it teaches us and it helps us understand that God as our Heavenly Father cares about every detail of our lives. The Old Testament says that his thoughts toward us are good and they outnumber all the sand on all the beaches in all the world. How precious are Thy thoughts to me, O Lord, the psalmist says. He cares about every detail of our lives, intimately and infinitely. And he wants to lead us in, important phrase, paths of righteousness. Psalm 23, verse 3. Paths of righteousness for his namesake. He cares deeply about the details of your life. And he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness in the way that you ought to go. This is what fathers do for their children. When fathers fail to do that, that's abandonment. And our father never abandons us. Nor will he ever. And so he wants to lead us. Now the agent of the father's leading the agent of the Father's loving leading in the world for His children is the Holy Spirit. And because, again, the Father loves us, we can then expect as God's children, we can expect the Spirit to lead us. That's why I love this text. It reminds me in my life that I should be expecting the Spirit to lead me in God's will for me. Jesus spoke of this. He was very clear in John 16 when he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Now listen to what Jesus is trying to teach us. The Christian life, it should be normative in the Christian life to have the spirit speaking to us. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He will tell you. Again, He says, He will tell you. Again, He says, He will tell you. And what will He tell us about? He will tell us about the will of God. It should be normative. It should be expected. It should be experienced in the Christian life that the Spirit tells us, that the Spirit speaks to us. Paul the Apostle writes in the fifth chapter of Galatians and that little pericope there about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit guides us, that the Holy Spirit gives us good desires, that the Holy Spirit directs us, that the Holy Spirit produces good things in us, and that the Holy Spirit leads us. All these communicative, formative interactions between the Christian and the Spirit, In fact, Romans 8.14 says explicitly, those who are the sons of God, or read it, the children of God, are led by the Spirit of God. So this is a clear testimony of Scripture, that our Heavenly Father wants to lead us by His Spirit. To not believe that, to believe something other about God, is to believe in a strange sort of God who is divorced from the testimony of Scripture. We see God speaking to his people from the beginning to the end of the book. And Jesus told us that he would do so by his spirit. Jesus not only told us about this, but Jesus experienced this for us and as an example for us that we should look to in his own life and ministry. Think of the life and ministry of Jesus and the work of the spirit. Right? We remember at the start of Jesus' ministry that the Holy Spirit came upon him when he's being baptized in the Jordan River right the Holy Spirit came upon him we read about that in Luke chapter three as a result of them the scriptures tell us that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and that he returned to Galilee where his ministry was centered at that time and did ministry in the power of the Spirit So the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. He's filled with the Spirit. And he walks in and does ministry in the power of the Spirit. We're also told when Jesus was in Nazareth and he opened up the scroll and he began to read in the synagogue that day, he said, the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach. So the Spirit came upon Jesus. He was full of the Spirit. He did ministry in the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit anointed him to do the work and the will of God. And importantly, we are told in the Gospels that Jesus was led by the Spirit. This text, this one, it says in Luke 4, Then Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and He was led by the Spirit. Now, it would be easy enough to say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. But what have we been learning in the book of Acts? Acts. In the book of Acts, we have been seeing without question that the Spirit works the same way in Jesus' followers as he worked in Jesus. In fact, we discover through the book of Acts that Jesus was this pattern, this example by which we would learn how God's Spirit would work in the world through his people. We've seen the same things happen in the book of Acts. Right at the beginning of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came upon the church Jesus's followers and then we see that they were filled with the spirit and in moments of need they were filled with the spirit over and over again we see them doing ministry in life in power we see that there is an anointing upon them and we see without question in the book of acts that they like Jesus are being led by the spirit It's the exact same pattern of the Spirit working in the way that he worked in the life of Jesus. So he works in the life of Jesus' followers. Individually, for example, Acts chapter 8 and Philip, when he was led by the Spirit, to go talk to the Ethiopian riding in the chariot. Corporately, in Acts chapter 13, when he spoke to the entire church, the church at Antioch, the Spirit told the church, thus and so, separate Paul and Barnabas apart for the work I've ordained for them. And then in small little groups, right? The group that we have here, where again, the Spirit is speaking to Paul and Luke and Timothy and Silas, this little missionary band, this little home group, living life on mission, if you will. So if we take Scripture seriously at all, and we do, we would have to conclude joyfully that this is the way the Spirit wants to work in our lives as well. It's easy to say, well, that was Jesus, that was the book of Acts, but that's not all that it's meant for. We'd have to conclude, if we're faithful to Scripture, that the Spirit wants to work in our lives in this way as well. In fact, we can just get rid of the question of whether or not the Spirit wants to lead us. That's explicit in Scripture. What helps us is to think about the question of why the Spirit wants to lead us. Now, that's key. It's no question that the Spirit wants to lead us. But why does the Spirit want to lead us? Think again about the life of Jesus. Right? Look at these few examples from the book of John. Jesus only did what the Father wanted him to do. We learn further that Jesus only said what the Father wanted him to say. And finally, we learn in the book of John that Jesus only did and said things when the Father told him to do. Jesus only did what the Father wanted him to do, only said what the Father told him to say, and he only did it when. So it was action, it was content, and it was timing. And what all of those tell us is that Jesus explicitly did the will of the Father. That's what I want you to get right now. Jesus was concerned about doing, and Jesus did the will of the Father. And again, this is a love thing. Look at Jesus' reasoning, also in the book of John, same chapter when he says, for the father loves the son and shows him all the things he himself is doing. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus did and said what the father led him to do, when the father led him to do it. And when Jesus explains why this was so, he says, well, the father loves the son. Of course the Father guides me. Of course the Father leads me. The Father loves the Son. And then Jesus says, and so I don't want to do my will, I want to do the will of the Father. Because the Father loved the Son, and so the Son loved the Father. The concern of the Son was to do the will of the Father. And that also, like the work of the Spirit, is the pattern for the Christian life. We love him because he first loved us. Behold how great a love he has bestowed upon us. But because he's loved us and because of what he's done through Jesus for us and his finished work upon the cross, we then love the Father. We love God. And what Jesus teaches us is if we love the Father, then we are concerned about doing the Father's will. And so by necessity, if we're saying as a Christian community, I want to be led by the Spirit, we are simultaneously saying, I want to do the will of God. You cannot divorce those two. Because God loves me, he wants to lead me by by his Spirit, for my good and for his glory, I, I, I want to be led by the Spirit. That is the same thing as to say, I want to do the will of God. Now to complete the thought, Anytime we are saying, I want to do the will of God, we are then saying, I want to, or I'm concerned about, or I want to bring glory to God. Doing the will of God has to do with being concerned about the glory of God. So anytime we say, I I want to be led by the Spirit, we're also saying, that means I want to do the will of God, which also means that I'm concerned about the glory of God. Now, this is where I'm losing some of you that I've not already lost. Honest moment of reflection now for all of us, myself included. Are we concerned about doing, working, having worked out in our own lives the glory of God? Is that a deep concern for us or is it tertiary? Is it an afterthought or a side thought or a Sunday thought? Or is it a primary, formative, directive sort of thought in our lives? I want to do the will of God because I want to see the glory of God worked out in and through my life. So you can't divorce Jesus from that, right? So if Jesus is not only our Savior, but also the pattern or the example for how God works in our lives. You can't divorce Jesus from that. You can't say, well, Jesus, he was led by the Spirit. Well, he wasn't concerned about God's glory or God's will. So we can't talk about the desire to be led by the Spirit apart from a humble confession and a true desire of wanting to do the will of God. And we have to have some real reflection about that because as I confessed at the beginning, I want to do God's will really deep down in here in my little Christian heart somewhere, but I also have my will. And I find sometimes what I want the Spirit to do is lead me for my own glory. Am I the only guy who's like this? I find sometimes my deep and desperate prayers being about my glory, my goodness, my desires more than they are about God's. Now that's okay, God hears me. He understands. He knows I'm just butt dust. Figure out where the comma goes there. It's a direct quote from Psalm 139. He knows that we are butt dust. I had to top Lazo from last week. No idea what I was saying. Oh, so often my deep and desperate prayers are about my will and my good and my glory. And the Father understands. He hears those frail prayers and he, he works in us. But this is an honest moment of reflection. If it should be normative and expected in the Christian life that the Spirit leads us, then the Christian life has to be one that says, I want to do the will of God for the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit is, is, is incredibly important to this. Think of the words of of John Wolvert. This is interesting because he was a cessationist, but he says this, guidance is a most important element in Christian experience. It is essential to a life in the will of God. It is essential to the life in the will of God. The difficulty, I think, for us, when we look at the scriptures and we see, well, it's, it's, we should expect to be led by the spirits, it should be normal within the Christian life, we should be experiencing this, I think part of the difficulty is we're never told in scripture exactly how it happens. Scripture just assumes that it happens, but it doesn't really give us a how-to. It shows us it happening over and over. We already cited many examples, but you can't escape it in the book of Acts, Right, over and over, the Spirit said to Philip. The Spirit said to Peter. Peter told the church, the Spirit said to me. The Spirit said to the church in Antioch, here in our text, the Spirit did not allow. The Spirit did not permit. There is a vision. We concluded that God was guiding us to do thus and so. Like, you cannot escape this communicative interaction in Scripture between God's Spirit and God's people. We're just told that it happens. But we're not told how it happens. So were these like, when he says in Acts chapter 8, when it says, and the Spirit told Philip, was that like an audible told? Like, did did he hear this with his ears, the Spirit said? And, And Acts chapter 10, where it says, and the Spirit told Peter. Was this an audible thing? In Acts chapter 13, where it says, and the Spirit said to the church in Antioch, did he speak to them all at once? Was it an audible thing? Was it a thought that they had simultaneously or that they had individually? Was it some sort of impression? There's an intangible, an impression. I just feel impressed upon my heart that, right, that's some Christian phraseology. What does it even mean? Yet we somehow get it intuitively. Was it an impression? Was it a feeling? How does this work out? The Bible does not tell us explicitly. It just tells us that it does. Therein lies part of the messiness of the Christian life and Christian community. And I think a lot of the misunderstandings, because we'd, we, we'd have to assume that the way that God communicates to his children is almost as unique as his children, right? Right? I don't speak the same way to my four-year-old Fifi. I don't communicate the same way with her that I communicate with my 17-year-old, 18 in a month, son Isaiah. I don't communicate with them in the same way. As a father. They're different. There's different ways that communication resonates with them. There's different ways that opens one's up that closes down the other. There's different things that they can hear and receive. There's a different set of language. There's a different approach and nonverbals. We'd have to assume that the way that the Father speaks to us by his spirit is almost as unique as are his children. Now, obviously, before we just roll off into a really messy realm here. Obviously, we have to say that there are constants in God speaking to his people. For example, the word of God is a constant. The word of God is inerrant, infallible, it doesn't change. And the spirit of God will always speak in consonance with, consistent with the word of God. Anytime someone says the spirit told me, but it contradicts the written word of God, the spirit didn't tell them. There are some constants to this. Community is a very important one. It is a design of God that Christian community would speak into one another's lives in conjunction with the leading of the Spirit. Notice that everything about the Spirit speaking in this text is plural. It's we, it's us, it's they. Right. It's Paul, it's Silas, it's Luke, it's Timothy. The Spirit did not allow them Spirit did not permit them. And then when Paul received a vision, they said, and so we, having concluded that it was a will of God for us to go to Macedonia, went to Macedonia. We concluded together. The verb is plural. They together were responding to this vision that God had given them. And that word concluded denotes rational reflection and reasoning. The community came together and like, look, it seems that this is the way that the Spirit is speaking. And and they talked about it. There was accountability. There was togetherness. There was corporate leading. There are some constants. The Christian Bible, Christian community, accountable relationships. But as far as the question, is it audible? Is it a feeling? Is it an impression, a sense, a thought? Could be any one of those. What you want is what I want. I just want a manual that says, here's how you hear from the Spirit. Here's how He sounds. Here's what it's going to be like. Right? That's what I want. Because I'm dealing with this battle all the time between my will and God's will. And I get really confused in my life about the way that I ought to go. So just freaking give it to me in black and white. Or the red letter version. I don't care. Just tell me how it's going to sound, how it's going to feel, how I'm going to be impressed, what the community's going to say, and then I'll maybe do it. <laughs> but it's a little more ethereal than that. It's a little more esoteric. A little more mysterious. It takes a little more relational involvement with the Spirit than that. There are, however, some practicalities to this. I'll just list two. The first one is this. We have to remember that the Holy Spirit not only leads us, but he teaches us. And in many ways, that precedes specific leading. Now, when I talk about teaching here, I'm talking about making clear the word of God. Again, the words of Jesus. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit doesn't only lead us in the specific will of God for our lives, but the Holy Spirit also teaches us about the clear and written word of God. Holy Spirit's a teacher of all things. He teaches us about the Word of God. I want us to remember, as we think about the leading of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit speaking to us, I want us to remember these words of John Stott. I don't have it on the screen, but I'll just quote it to you. John Stott, one of my favorite pastors of all time. He says, Scripture is the royal scepter by which King Jesus rules his church. Scripture is the royal scepter by which King Jesus rules his church. So we can think first about the Holy Spirit's role in making clear the Word of God. That's why every time I read the Word of God personally, I say, Holy Spirit, please teach me the Word of God, because Jesus said you would. That's why when I get up here to teach and preach, I say, Holy Spirit, please help me, because the Holy Spirit's actually the teacher of all things. And the Holy Spirit makes clear to us the Word of God. Now, how that may apply then to specific leading is that leading and guiding is often the application of the truth of God's Word to particular situations in our lives. The Bible does not say something about every single situation you will ever be in in your life. You're not always going to be able to point to a chapter and a verse that says, oh, I should turn left on Carpentry Avenue. It's not in there. But there are principles for everything that we will encounter in this life. And one of the things the spirit will do is teach us the word of God and then teach us to apply the word of God. We can call this wisdom. We could also talk about it in terms of leading. Again, Jesus in John 16 says when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will tell you about the future. You see how there's both there? He'll guide you in all truth. He'll teach you uh, to recall what I have taught you, remember what I have taught you, and he'll tell you about the future. Specific things in your life that are coming down the pipe. And sometimes the way that we realize we're being led by the Spirit is just that the work of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God in our lives, is forming a godly life and a godly mind out of which right purposes and directions come which means it doesn't always have to be be as esoteric as it sounds. It's not always about an impression or an audible thing or a feeling or a discernment. It is rather God's Word working in your heart and mind by God's Spirit to lead you in the way that you ought to go. So... I think what that means is if we as a Christian community want to be led by the Spirit of God, it's really important that we have deep interaction with the Word of God. And then this one is, this one's important too. It says, my point, I can't remember, to be led by the Spirit requires surrender to His will and a willingness to be convicted of sin. Now, this is kind of when the rubber meets the road cuz I you know, whatever, read your Bible, it's not that hard. Read your Bible. But there's a lot of times where I'm avoiding the Holy Spirit cuz I don't want to be convicted of my sin. Am I the only one that's like this? There are a lot of times that I'm avoiding what the Spirit might be saying cuz I don't want to be convicted of my sin. I want to do my sin. There are other times where I do not want to hear what the Spirit has to say because I don't want to surrender my will. I don't want to get in Gethsemane and have to say, Nevertheless, thy will be done, and stare down the barrel of the cross. Gethsemane is a very uncomfortable place to be. There are times when I just want my will to be done. And so I avoid the Spirit. If we want to hear from the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, then we have to be willing to surrender our wills to His and be willing to be convicted of sin. Philippians 2 speaks to this a little bit when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out, the implications of it. For it's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? God's in you Want to work his will in your life, for his glory. So do everything without grumbling or disputing. How messed up a verse is that? Come on. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, the word of God, the Bible. Romans chapter 12, first two verses says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I think what these verses are getting at is this idea. We cannot divorce the leading of the Spirit from the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That gets you or that go over your head? We cannot divorce the, the leading of the Spirit from the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit, to pursue that, is to pursue His sanctifying work. Say, I surrender to your will, God, even though I desire this. I respond to your conviction, Holy Spirit, even though I keep doing this. So that the leading the Spirit for the Son of God, the daughter of God, and the conviction of the Spirit and the sanctifying work of the Spirit are meant to go hand in hand in the Christian life. And these are gifts from the Father who loves us and has good things for us. He wants to, again, in Psalm 23, 3 says, He wants to lead us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. I want to be led in paths of convenience for my namesake. But he wants to lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Again, this is where I lose some of you. This text is helping me confront my desire for unrighteous things and to renew my desire for righteousness and righteous ways of being. He wants to lead me because he loves me and for a concern for his own glory and paths of righteousness for his namesake. And the very next verse says, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes he will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes that is the righteous path. So the leading of the Spirit is inseparable from the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And if we just want to peel it way back to daily disciplines, again, Andrew Murray says, let each one who would be led by the Spirit, right, or who wants to be led by the Spirit, begin, here's where it starts, by giving his or herself to be led of the Word of God as far as they know it. Begin at the beginning, obey the commandments. I don't know if this is coincidence or not. You can tell me, but I feel much more in tune with the Spirit and readily uh, hear from the Spirit when I'm endeavoring to obey the Word of God. Because you know, the Spirit can be grieved, and split so apart. Our consciences can be consciences can be seared. Our hearts can be hardened. All of these are on the path of disobedience. All of these just make it more difficult to hear from the Spirit. So to hear from the Spirit requires a teachable heart and mind that is at the core desiring to do the will of God, to live for the glory of Jesus, to be willing to give up ourselves and deny the flesh. So in daily rhythms and practices then, It comes down to confronting and dealing with our selfishness. It comes down to confronting and dealing with our coping mechanisms. Sometimes it's easier just to go into my coping mechanism than it is to really engage with the spirit on what's going on in here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Strategic distractions need to be confronted and dealt with. Anybody know what I'm talking about, strategic distractions? Man, I got a list of them. I could keep myself distracted for weeks on end. No time to hear from him. I'm doing this. And I think that part of the reason why I love this text is because it reminds me that God is more willing to speak to me than I am to listen to him. And it pulls me out of a dark place. Remember, God really wants to speak to me. More so than I'm even willing to hear. God wants to speak to me. My son is, as I said, he'll be 18 next month. And he has a life, unlike many 18-year-olds. He's got multiple jobs. He's started his own little business. He's got places he wants to go. He's traveling a lot. He's got a life. He's doing awesome things. And because he's busy with these other things, I find myself often with a deep longing to just, Talk to him. You know what I mean. I'm getting to the place where I miss them. Empty nesters, you know what I'm talking about, right? I just want—I just want to like talk to him a little bit. And then I realize I'm so much like that almost 18-year-old boy as it comes to my relationship with God. And there's the Father. The scriptures say He waits on high to have compassion on me. I think He just wants to talk to me a little bit. You're so busy with all your things, Britt. I just want to talk to you a little bit. This has been one of the most formative quotes of my adult life from Jonathan Edwards. The task of every generation is discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving, then move in that direction. And I take that in a macro sense, like world mission. I take that in the sense of like church mission and what we're doing together, Christian mission in general. And I take that in a micro sense with regards to my life. What is the sovereign redeemer wanting to do? How is the sovereign uh, redeemer moving in my heart, in my life? So let me move in that direction. And I want us to get this morning from the scriptures, this, this confident sense that the Holy Spirit is actually in us and doing his work and expanded faith and hope for him speaking to us. The Spirit will lead and guide you in the particulars of your life. Oftentimes, by just knowing the Word of God and applying it. Often, by the wisdom He gives us for particular situations. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Often, through the church community and loving guidance and accountability. And other times, through some more esoteric experiences hearing the Spirit in some esoteric way. But all those things come into play. So as we move now into a time of worship and prayer, I want us to be thinking about these questions for ourselves. How might the Spirit be leading you right now, at this season in your life? How might the Spirit be leading you right now? Let's get specific for the way that it happens in the text. What might the Spirit be keeping you from right now? The Spirit kept them from going on the western trajectory that they wanted to go through Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Made them go a circuitous, long way away. It wasn't bad what they wanted to do. It was actually a good thing, but it just wasn't the particular thing in God's will for them at that time. So maybe it's a bad thing, maybe it's not, but what is the Spirit trying to keep you from right now? It says in our text, the Spirit did not allow them to go to this and other place. The names don't matter. Spirit didn't allow them to go there. What is the Spirit not allowing you to do right now that you're fighting against? Again, it might not be a bad thing. It might be a fine thing. It just might not be the God thing that He has for you in this moment. And then what would listening look like for you this week? confronting your coping mechanisms and your mindless endeavors and your strategic distractions and your selfishness? What might be some clear sort of posturing in your life to listening to the Spirit this week? Can you think of ways that might look like and then put yourself in the place? I mean, it could start today, like you come forward to the carpets and you just get just you and Jesus alone on the floor. Here, Spirit, speak to me. You might need to go to the prayer team and say, man, I I have such a hard time hearing from the Spirit or here's my situation, I don't know what to do. Please pray for me. And then through the week, what might listening to the Spirit look like to you this week? And then are we willing to just do that? Take some of those postures this week. I like in the text that Paul and the boys got two no's and then a yes. No, don't go there, okay. No, don't go there, okay, what? Come here, That's clear call, a man from Macedonia in this vision. So the two no's actually ended up to be a really big yes. Because this is the first time that the gospel goes to Europe now. Ancient Macedonia is modern day uh, Eastern Europe. Yeah, I don't know, those places. The names don't matter. I don't care. But two no's. And you know, those no's are hard no's. Like, why not, God? Why is this? I want to do this. How is that wrong? It wasn't wrong. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't the will that the Father had for them. But because they obeyed those no's, they got this giant yes. And it was so much bigger than they thought. The places they wanted to go were just up the road a little bit. But the place that God was sending them was much further and would require a boat trip into new, unreached, exciting regions. God's yeses are always so much bigger than his nose in our lives. Don't get stuck on the nose. What is God giving you vision for? Ask God this week, God, give me vision. What is God giving you vision for? Paul had a vision and then, how might you conclude God's will is leading you at this time? And as you do these exercises, remember that the ultimate proof of the love of God for you is a cross of Jesus Christ and what Christ did for you. Anytime you start to think, Gosh, Lord, I do not like your will for my life, or you do not seem good because you're withholding this thing from me, or this is unfair, or this is too much, remember the cross. Go back to the love of God as evidenced in the cross of Christ. And then remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 where he said, God, having not spared his own son, but gave Jesus to you, will he not also give you all things? If he loves you enough to give his son for you on the cross, he loves you enough to lead you through the drama of this life because you are his. Amen? Thank you, Lord. For this hope in the text that I need to hear this morning that I'm sure others do. And we ask now that you would help us to get in tune with your spirit and what the spirit wants to say. Lord, would you grant us a holy time now in your presence where hearts are open, sins are confessed freely, freely, where hope abounds, where love is experienced, where faith blossoms. God, would you give to us as a church a holy time in your presence? And would you speak to us? Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak. For we are the sons and daughters of God. And we want to do the will of God the glory of God. We want the good work of God in our lives, so Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, lead us in paths of righteousness.